Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Joining me here for a conversation today, a friend and a colleague here at WABC Radio. But forget about it. This guy is so much more than that. He's been a mainstay on radio for 30 years. You see him on TV. You see him everywhere. But most important, he's not just a talker. He's a doer. He's the founder and heart and soul of the Guardian Angels now in its 41st year. And that means he can only be one person, my pal, Curtis Sleep. Well, we need no further introduction. Welcome aboard, Curtis. I've had better days, Russ. I've had better days. Me and a fellow Brooklyn, I, you know, I couldn't find a two-cent seltzer down there. My stomach, I have argued. Well, well, I should, since you brought that up before we get into you, because this is not about me, this is about you. But, folks, maybe if it wasn't for Curtis Sliwa, I would not be doing my Get a Load of This podcast, because when I got here... And I was talking to Curtis about some ideas. And Curtis, you had said, you know, I was asking your thoughts and you had said to me, you know, do something Brooklyn. And I thought about that because we're both Brooklyn. But I said, you know what? I don't want to pigeonhole myself into it's got to be Brooklyn. Therefore, get a load of this. So here we are. And this happens to be this podcast starts my third year with get a load of this. Well, you see, you see, it's the trifecta, the trinity, the troika, and you're not even playing the over-under and point spread. There you go. It's, it's straight out. But I want to get to you. I, I, listen, when I said it in the opening, you're a legendary guy here. You're a New York mainstay. But I don't know that everybody realizes, because it's 41 years now of uh, 
the guardian angels. But I didn't even realize, I was doing a little homework, before it was the guardian angels, it was the magnificent 13, you had started it. Was the genesis to start it because the magnificent 13 was 1977? Was the genesis to start it, what the hell was going on with the son of Sam? Uh, That contributed to it. And also, remember, the blackout that led to the riots. Two days of rioting. Uh, I was a night manager of Mickey D's McDonald's uh, on Ford and Road off Webster. And I remember when the lights went out and all of a sudden the thugs and the thuggets started running up. What do you think they hit first? Not Mickey D's. They hit Crazy Eddie's. That's it. They ripped that apart. Then there was the jewelry shop. Then the sneaker store. Then they went to the Grand Concourse, hit all the furniture stores. They were walking out with everything and torched the joints when they left. And that also happened along Broadway in Brooklyn in the Bushwick section. There are parts there you can still see. Uh, You can see that they were seared from the fires that were set by the arsonists after they looted the joint. So, yeah, between the Son of Sam, between the blackout and the two days of rioting, and just the hopelessness, despair, and the uh, increase in crime, especially with all the youth gangs out there, that was the motivation to get my rearing gear. But, you know, let's think about it, because at that time, you're like 23 years old. So, I mean, you're a kid. It was pretty noble. I'm not blowing smoke up your keister, but it was pretty noble to be a 23-year-old kid wanting to take this responsibility on. Like, were you brought up to be socially conscious and, and for lack of a better term, not take any shit when you got to fight, you fight? Oh, no doubt. You know, I was brought up Roman Catholic, and they told me, hey, Jesus said, turn your cheek. I said, I don't turn any cheeks. Not my tuchus cheeks. <laughs> not my face cheeks. You hit me, I'll hit you so hard your mother will feel the vibrations. And I was brought up by cousins in the streets, uh, Supreme Cougines, that... You give beatdowns, but in order to give a beatdown, you got to take a beatdown. And that's really the sign of a man's man. Can you take a beatdown? And so that was survival in the streets. Now, it wasn't like living in the hood, the ghetto. That's living in Canarsie, blue-collar, working-class area. Half of it were the Jews who studied and went on to MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Harvard. And the other half were the Supreme Cougines who ended up going to Attica, Damariah, and up in Plattsburgh, New York. (laughs) Well, I didn't go to Harvard. I went to college, but I, I, I didn't go to Harvard. But that, that said, though, you know, you start a group, the, uh, the Guardian Angels, and, and it, it's important today because of what the hell's going on in this city, but you start the Guardian Angels, and listen, you're like me. We all want to make money. We all want to do things. You're not, you don't make money from the Guardian Angels. So, I mean, it, when you would founding the guardian angels was it just going to be like i shouldn't even use the term part-time because it's anything but part-time for you but were you saying to yourself well this is nice for me to do but i'm gonna have to do something else to make a living well i gotta be honest with you i don't look to make money now because that money doesn't go to me yeah i know goes to all my exes they got liens on me the moment (laughs) i make a penny right they use the noxon on it to shine the penny well since you said that, let me ask you, in, in all seriousness, yeah. I think you're married like Nancy is number five. Yeah, it's okay. five times. Okay, five times. Would it be fair to say that because of your commitment to the community and the commitment to the guardian angels besides your work? I'm, I'm dead serious, yes, Curtis. Yes. Would you f- say that that was a factor 
in marriages failing? Uh, Russ, that's what somebody would write in their autobiography, to be kind to themselves, right? Right. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. I was like ammonia and bleach with these women, and it didn't matter. Uh, there was Coleridge right in front Brown, so that didn't work out. Then there was Lisa, the diva of all divas, that didn't work out. Then there was Mary, believe it or not, Mary. Now Mary, the former governor, David Patterson, she built me like there was no tomorrow. Then there was Melinda Katz, she's now the district attorney in Queens, says, you don't step into Queens or I'll file an indictment against you. So I'm with Nancy and nine rescue cats, and she leaves me alone. You see, that's the key to a good marriage. Leave freaking Curtis Sliwa alone. Well, you know, I I guess you could say that's the key if you want it that way for everybody. They don't exactly, you can't just be left alone. Let's take number four. Go ahead, number four. I grew up with Jews, Jewish girls, and I always told, don't date a Jewish girl. Stick with your own because it's a nightmare. Jewish guys, when they get married, die much earlier than their wives. And I always used to get a good belly laugh over that. <laughs> Enid Silverman, Bonnie Goldstein. That was like forbidden fruit. And then all of a sudden, I met Melinda Katz. And once I, I tied the knot, I realized that's true. Guys who are macho guys, big Jewish guys in business, titans in business, all of a sudden become nebbishy and schlubby now, when they're in the same room as their wife. And I realized because I'm sitting there, I'm reading the newspaper, the New York Post, the Daily News, and all yenta, 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 And I realized I can't even answer back. I've lost my three-piece set. I've lost my manhood. I've become a eunuch. But now hold on a second. I understand why you guys die earlier than your wives. No, hold on, hold on a second, though. I am now, I'm married, going into my 41st year of marriage. Jewish gal. And I'd like to say we all have to uh, cow down a little bit, but I don't think, I think you would agree that I haven't lost my manhood. No, but you're a Maytag. (laughs) She rules the roost. Jewish women rule the roost. When the kids want something, do they come to you? Fanabula. They go to your wife. Whoa, whoa, hold on. You may sec- come hey. up with the schiarola, mula, shmula, but they go to mom's first. Hey, Goomba, let me ask you a question. Yes. You married five times. Yes. One was a Jew. Oh. Oh, so what are you breaking balls about? Ma, no, okay. no, yeah, exactly. God. <laughs> exactly. I would never go to the memorial after that. He would never <laughs> give me a brisk blindfolded with a uh, Rambo uh, knife. All right, I just, let's just be fair. If you let me mention one thing. I got two kids. Kids, right? Yes. Uh, there's Carter and there's Hunter. They're well, brought uh, up Jewish. Th- no, you have three kids, but Carter and Hunter. Right. Anthony's RC, real Christian, okay. RC Roman right. Catholic. Right. So the two little kids, right? They got to go to Hebrew school, the whole nine yards. Uh, going to be bar mitzvah. That's right. It's going to happen. Carter uh, soon will be thirteen. So I write the checks, and the rabbi and the cantor are sitting there with me in the shul, and they're saying, "You can't come up to the beamer." You know, when Carter starts reading, uh, wait, wait a second, you take my checks, right? They don't bounce. I'm right. good enough to pay, but I'm not good enough to come to the Beamer. So the cantor looks at the rabbi and says, you know, she really like Curtis come up to the Beamer. Rabbi goes, rules are rules. I say, next time, all of a sudden, I'm going to make sure I bounce a few checks. Yeah, yeah, we'll I, see I, how soon I'll be up at the Beamer. That, that I would agree with. I, I have had friends who have had to go through that. Do me a favor. If you're good enough to take my money, you're good enough to take my kids. You're exactly. Good enough to ta- in Hashem, we trust. And Hashem we trust. That's right. Hashem being God, folks, for you Gentile listeners out there. But uh, all right, let's get serious. The guardian angels, how relevant, because I know all the work that you've done, 
most recently. Well, I, I guess I say most recently in the Jewish community, Crown Heights and, you know, you know, Borough Park, places like that. But then you have the issues. The Asian people are asking you for help. So isn't it terrible, Curtis, that you have to be asked for help when these people feel that they're they're not getting enough help from the NYPD. And I'm not knocking the NYPD. I'm knocking the politics that runs the NYPD. Well, look at it. When I first started in the late 70s, the city was on the brink of fiscal dissolvement. Chapter 11. They had to lay off cops. There were no cops on the subways at night. There was a real reason why you had to have the guardian angels. There were no police officers. Now you got more than enough police officers, 40,000 police officers. And they got specialized units and they have technology and cameras and every, you know, all the bells and whistles they need. But you got a mayor asleep at the wheel who thinks we're the safest we've ever been. And yet two years running, subway crime is going through the roof. Street crime is going through the roof. You have this bail reform, no cash bail situation that the governor, Cuomo, is responsible for. So it's created the climate where people who normally would not have invited us in because the NYPD was enough are now reaching out because they're not getting enough. And the crime is now, you're beginning to see it everywhere. It's not just with homeless people, emotionally disturbed people. It's youth gangs. 44% of the crimes we're dealing with in the subways is because of juvenile delinquents. And that had not existed in quite some time. But the way a juvie is now, they don't even get a JD card. They don't even get a ticket. They get told by the cops, get out of here, go home. And naturally, they're going to come back and do it all over again. Well, I, that brings me to the point, though, in particular. And you and I have said it. I, I've sat with you, co-hosted with you uh, on, you know, Curtis and Juliet when Juliet was off from noon to three. And it is a great show. And I'm not just saying that. But, you know, we spoke about that. And you you're one of the few people who pull no punches about it. I, I've said it. I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back, but. It's not just anti-Semitism. People are afraid to call it what it is. It's black anti-Semitism. And that seems to be ripping the communities apart. Yeah, well, think of it. It's three generations that I've dealt with black anti-Semitism. And you never hear a rev or a rabbi talk about it. You never hear a black or a white, a Jew or a Gentile politician talk about it. They can't get it out of their throat. Now, if it was some Huckleberry from down south, you know, neo-Nazi, Confederate flag-waving, hater of Jews, oh, they'd be singing Kumbaya and having marches in the streets. But I confront it because it starts at the very top. Jay-Z, first billionaire rapper, is famous for a song in which he goes, why do the Jews own all the property in the world? Hey, schmuck, putz. First of all, the Queen of England is not a Jew. She owns the most. Followed by the Saudis. They hate the Jews. Followed by my peeps, the Roman Catholic Church. Not exactly friendly to the Jews. Where the hell is the Jew amongst that? And Jay-Z, don't you have partnerships with Jews? Don't you own a lot of property? But if you happen to be a young black or even a young white, and you're repeating his words over and over, that begins to indelibly stick into your thought set. LeBron James, well, well, right? I'll, I'll, says, oh, I love that Jewish money. Keep that kosher money coming. Now, what the hell was that? Now, he was repeating, he was repeating a uh, some rapper. Yeah. Okay. But, but the point is, you don't repeat stuff that is hurtful to other people and perpetuates anti-Semitism. But worse than that, worse than that when that was said, because I made an issue about it here on podcast and when I was filling in on the air for Bernie and Sid, Hold on a second. 
the NBA uh, commissioner, uh, Adam Silver, and I like Adam a lot. I think he's done a good job with the NBA. I mean, there are bumps in the road. There always is, certainly, with what, what some of the things that LeBron and his buddies were saying about China, if you remember. But LeBron wasn't taken to task over that at all. Now, you do the reverse. If a white player uh, made, whether he was repeating what somebody else said, belittling comments about another community, about in particular the black community, well, I'll be, I'll give you his more. ass would have been hauled into I'll the give office. You some more. Let's say a white ball player. I can't understand this. Why is it most people in jail are black? Oh, now you could pull out the analytics. You could show charts. Well, he happens to be true. You're dead. Dead. You're gone. And yet, what happens every time there's a problem in society, the Jews get blamed. It's always the Jews, and we have to stop it because generation after generation is fed this crap, and then nobody wants to do an intervention and tell them, no, no, that's wrong. I'm telling you, that's absolutely Jack Diddley Scott Long. And that's what we do. We go right into the hood, right into the black community, and we will confront those who say, well, according to Minister Farrakhan, Farrakhan, he calls Jews termites. He says it's a gut of religion. Are you out of your mind? That's what you're repeating? Screwy Louis Farrakhan? And you got to take him on because then you'll get respect. But what we've had to teach the Jews in the neighborhoods that we patrol to protect them is that you got to stand up. you got to show chutzpah. You can't depend on the police and politicians. you got to fight back. So if they hit you, you hit them twice as hard. And I always say to them, don't you believe in the Old Testament? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You start to sound like you're a New Testament guy or gal. And they get the message. So l- l- let me ask you this. Um, what you do is dangerous because you confront people. I didn't realize this from if speaking to you, and you actually said it to me a couple of weeks ago when I was on the air with you. Um, over the years, which is now Guardian Angels are in their 41st year, uh, six members have lost their lives. Yeah, six Guardian Angels have been shot and killed in a line of duty, uh, at least three dozen seriously injured where they had to have continued therapy in order to recover from the uh, serious wounds that uh, had incurred. Now, now, I mean, that's quite a number that I don't think the public realizes. I certainly, I like to think I'm a pretty well-withed guy, and I didn't know. I mean, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot. And and I don't care if it's 40 years or 400 years. To me, it's, it's still a lot. Because of that, have you ever said, you know what, was there ever a point where you said, well, you know, this is noble and I want to do this, but it's too risky? Well, I will tell you this. My grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, would tell me stories when I was a little one young, a little kid. He'd say, you know, for every one success, there are nine failures. You know, you're going to get knocked on your, your butt. Okay, so in the beginning years, the first 13 years of the Guardian Angels, it was a baptism in fire. I got arrested 77 times. So I said to my grandfather before he passed away. 77 times. 77 times. Because of guardian angels. Yeah, harassment. But I'll tell you, they hit me with all kinds of charges. Disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, unlawful assembly, obstruction of government and administration, assault and battery of thugs. I pled guilty to that. You're damn right. But not the rest. So they'd lock me up, and then they'd lose me in the system. And, you know, those thugs, they were ready to make their bones on my bones. But I said to my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, I said, hey, Pa, 
when am I going to have that first success? I've been locked up 77 times. He said, one yam, patience, patience. My math was wrong. I didn't go to school. I couldn't read or write. So my math was wrong. It'll happen. And he was right. Patience, patience. History changes very slowly because people's cultural ways towards one another move so slow. Technology can move overnight but not the way people interact with one another. Do you feel the guardian angels get more respect now than ever before simply because with the world of political correctness, especially in this dopey city, uh, and I say dopey just because things have gone ass backwards, it's more the, the guardian angels are more relevant now? Well, it's easier because we've always been interracial. So you can't tag on us, oh, you're all black, you're all white, you only care about your own. Secondly, we've had four generations. So in some instances, we've had the original member, and now all of a sudden, his son, his grandson, his great-grandson. So there's a legacy in the neighborhood. Some have gone on to become police officers after they left the Guardian Angels social workers, correctional officers. So it's become part of an ingrained system in New York that being a guardian angel is really a gateway to going on and providing service maybe in a paid capacity, but you now developed all the skills that are going to be necessary to commit yourself to that task. Yeah, How do you get, do you recruit or they come to you? Well, it's really three ways. Uh, ever since day one. People would come to us, mostly those who had been victimized by crime or maybe family members were victimized or they saw things changing in their neighborhood. Uh, number two, we would aggressively recruit. We would say, hey, hey, you're going to be a mutton scale the rest of your life? You know, you hang out with that crew over there, you're guaranteed to end up going to jail, be dead and buried, and you'll have no prospects for the future. Sometimes that works. You try to get them on the periphery of the gangs or the drug dealers, hardcore guys, Hardcore gals, very difficult. And then lastly, mothers, single mothers raising kids will bring usually their son, sometimes their daughter. Hey, Sliwa, what can you do with this kid? This kid is a nightmare. This kid's a real pill. And so we put them through the process. Most don't stick because they're not coming because they want to come, but some do. Ironically, some do. And the mothers are so grateful because that nightmare part of their life is over. Is that a fact that mothers have brought their kids to you? I mean, that, now that's almost they're asking you to be something else. They're not asking. They're not asking. Please take. Would you please take my kid? He. I think it's important for him to be a guardian angel and do the right thing. Well, they're looking but, for surrogate yeah, male role models yeah. because they don't exist in some neighborhoods. Uh, although I've had a few mothers who've actually come to me in the reverse capacity. And say, if you let my son show up for patrol today, I will personally go out of my way and kill you. <laughs> I don't want him as a guardian angel. Is that right? Yeah. And I have to spend sometimes hours convincing them they're a hell of a lot better off hanging out with us where they're going to stay out of harm's way than hanging out with their homies in the neighborhood, which will definitely put them on a one-way trip to Palookaville. How much uh, – listen, you've been on the radio uh, since 1990 here. Uh, how much – of being a media personality, if you will, and people see you on TV all the time, and you're you're everywhere. You're always making speeches and, and patrolling. How significant uh, has the has your radio presence, TV presence, uh, been relevant in the success of the Guardian Angels? It's like a yin and a yang. Uh, sometimes it's helpful. 
you know, especially uh, with those who are decision makers because they listen to talk radio as much as they say, I never listen to talk radio. The, f- the moment they get into the car, you know, the SUV with the police escort there, they listen to talk radio. But it doesn't help in the hood, especially now that Trump is president. You know, they come up in my face. Oh, WABC, that's the Trump station. Always broadcasting Caucasians. Then I got a lot of splaining, as Ricky Ricardo used to say to Lucy. Right, I got a lot right. of splaining to do. Uh, I got to tell you, going to the Gay Pride March, as we've gone for years, and we provide security, catching all kinds of grief because we at WABC are associated with conservative talk radio, Donald Trump. So there's the ying. Sometimes it's beneficial, and then sometimes the yang, in which you got to constantly explain yourself. That we're independent and autonomous. Everyone is entitled to their own political belief systems. We don't interfere with that. We're here to protect everybody. But don't label me a Trumper simply because I broadcast at WABC. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I want to talk more with the Guardian Angels, but you bring out a good point. And, and so you kind of, that's another point I wanted to talk about. We'll get to it right now. You open up the garage door. You and I, uh, we've discussed this. We're, we're brought up. I'm from the housing projects in Brooklyn. You're from the tenement in Sheepshead Bay. You're from the tenements in, in Canarsie. So we're brought up in democratic households. And both of us are certainly not Trumpsters. However, and the however is this. This is not the Democratic Party and the Democratic household that myself nor you were brought up in. And and if you question the Democratic Party, I mean, Curtis, I said thing you remember when this let him rest in peace, Peter Fonda, he he put something on Twitter and Facebook at the time that Baron Trump, the, the president's son who's autistic, they put ought to put him in a cage with pedophiles. This is what Peter Fonda said. I put it out, I responded I said, somebody ought to take Peter Fonda, take him into a dark alley, and beat the shit out of him. That's exactly how I put it. The vitriol that I got, you would have thought I was like a Nazi. I mean, what is a nice Jewish boy becoming a... What the freak are you talking about? That's what the world has become. In your lifetime... I'm dead serious, yeah, Curtis. In yeah. your lifetime, would you ever imagine, and, and this is where we are today, okay? Um, this podcast comes out. We type folks on a Monday, so it's coming out on a Wednesday. Super Tuesday is tomorrow. So this is going to come out the day after. In your wildest dreams, did you ever think that a socialist, socialist slash communist, would be so close to getting a nomination for the presidency of the United States. I never thought in my lifetime it was possible. Well, remember, uh, I look at it both ways. I grew up in the age of Nelson Rockefeller, had more money than any candidate, the equivalency, who's now running, including Bloomberg at the time. He couldn't buy the presidency. He got divorced. Remember from Happy. Happy, right. He couldn't get, no, that it was over. Richard Nixon, right? I mean, the worst of the worst. Because he stayed with his wife. Now look at it. Trump on one side, he's had multiple wives. Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, he's had multiple wives. He's written stories about, oh yeah, fantasizing about 
uh, r- rape fantasies, and also if women don't have sex, they'll develop cancer of the uterus. Oh, so so let me ask you this. Bingo, you just nailed it, cause, and, and we were talking about it off the air. So they take Bloomberg. Not that I'm sticking up for Bloomberg, but you got crazy Pocahontas taking shots at Bloomberg, and that's to her, her, her right, but standing to her left was brother bernie and there's no shots taken there so you know like what's good for one is not good for the other i know but we saw this the first time that trump ran remember all of a sudden shamu el hefe chris christie decided (laughs) he had no shot so on that stage in new hampshire he was going to take out marco rubio little marco and he eviscerated him marco still is seen sometimes in the hallways of the senate going And that's what Elizabeth Warren has become. She's got no chance at the nomination. She is a hit woman. She is like a combination of Thelma and Louise together. And then add to it, kill Bill with that samurai sword. Una Thurman's character. Right. And I think Bloomberg, with all of his money, really is a masochist. He probably hires uh, dominatrices to beat him up because he keeps going into that lair. And she just keeps thumping him, protecting Bernie. But there's so many ways he could have answered back without having to constantly defend himself. He could say, both of you hate billionaires. What about your buddy George Soros, who funds so many of the radical left-wing groups in America? They would have had to have been very careful how they handled that. And definitely, what about Bernie Sanders when he was 40, writing pieces about Sexual rape fantasies. But that was then. That nobody wants to remember right, but then. then Bernie would have had to answer. Right. See, the moderators would have said, you're, you're entitled to answer. What is he going to do? Just shrug his shoulders? Well, you and I have been talking about New York City, but, you know, talking about the presidency is nationally. I got a better one for you. Uh, I have not seen, and I have said it prior to every podcast. I've said it on the air with you. I said I would kiss your ass in Macy's window if one of the moderators brought it up. Not once. Has any of the moderators brought up in these Democratic debates anti-Semitism? Of course not. Not once. Because, not. correct me if I'm wrong, if they bring it up, then they have to answer to, like, the squad and of people course. like that. Uh, Ilhan Omar. Yeah, in particular. Uh, and and Tlaib. Yeah. Right. Uh, Rashida Tlaib. Right. And there's no way they want to bring that up. They don't want to open up that Pandora's box. But it was incumbent to others. Like Bloomberg. What are you standing there? You could bring it up. Any of them could have thrown that fish right into the center of the ring, but they chose not to because they have window shades on their eyes. Uh, they've got cotton balls in their ears and a zipper on their mouth when it comes to anti-Semitism. God forbid they mention anti-Semitism. Depending on the area of the country, you're going to be hitting a sore spot. And I'm talking right here in the Northeast Corridor where almost every one of these actions have been by black anti-Semites. And then all of a sudden you're going to have the black community on your your back and you're going to have to stand there and defend yourself. And if a Jew isn't going to bring it up and defend himself, why would a Gentile do that? Gentiles looking at it and say, I don't see Bernie the Altacaca Sanders bringing it up. I don't see Bloomberg bringing it up. Why would I, the Presbyterian here, the WASP? You know, from the heartland, bring it up. That That's why, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that's why an Israeli Jew in general is different. Because when, when they say never again, they mean never again. And here, oh, like what you say, cotton in the ears, the, the eye, the, you know, the mouth is zipped up. It's unbelievable that nobody responds to that. Well, you also bring it up since, since they brought that up. You recently spoke at 
was it? And this wasn't down in Crown Heights. This was in Manhattan, the Park East um, synagogue. Synagogue. Why did they bring you, and what did they want you to talk about? Well, because you have a whole new generation of hipster millennial Jews and those who are younger who think, ah, oh, that doesn't affect us. You know, that was mom and dad's generation, granddad, grandma's generation. You know, we've assimilated. Uh, you know, Gentiles treat us good. And I had to remind them, it's in our DNA at times. You don't know when. You don't know why. All of a sudden, maybe uh, you're... Late family was involved in pogroms in East Europe. But there are certain anti-Semitic thoughts that emerge in a Gentile's head. Now, either he or she can control it and toss it out like garbage, or you can believe that crap and then actually blame Jews for all the problems you're having in your own life. And that's what some people prefer to do. So I'm alerting them, no matter how prosperous you are, no matter how many friends you think you have, understand that that anti-Semitism is everywhere. And then I attack Jay-Z, who's like their hero. You know, they memorized his rap lyrics growing up. LeBron James, some of them were wearing throwback LeBron James uh, jerseys from when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I said, no, 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 no. The first time. Right. They feed the beast. They feed the beast. And you're just idly sitting there. Spending money on these individuals, saying, ah, yeah, explaining, of, he didn't really mean that. It's almost like when Trump talks. Trump will say, he didn't really mean that. When Biden tries to talk and he mumbles and stumbles, his defenders will say, let me tell you what he really meant. I don't need somebody to tell me what you just said. I think I can understand it. And when Jay-Z says, why do Jews own all the property in the world? Hey, schmuck, pot, schmentrick. He's talking about you. He's lying about you. He's perpetuating anti-Semitism. And you're flicking it off as if it's dandruff, you know, and, and no big deal. It's a real big deal. A real big deal. Well, anti-Semitism, you know, isn't the only problem the city has had in terms of, you know, racism or what, what against Jews. Because you and I have discussed this. I've discussed this at length. Uh, because I am a proud alum of Brooklyn Tech, but the Asian community has gotten a shaft. And when I say they've gotten a shaft, and, and you want to talk about racism, they have every right to be pissed off. And where does the racism come from? It comes from the top in the city of New York. I blame Dumbo, dishonorable de Blasio, because he's the guy who's hired the henchman, as you say, Carajo Carranza. Yep. I mean, this guy is a flat-out racist. You've just seen recently uh, some Department of Education school rescue squad, which he spent was like a $10 million Millions. budget. Millions. What the hell goes on? And, and this city, like... Doesn't th- people do not take him to test? You know, I've heard people on a national level say, "Well, how the hell did we um, elect Trump?" And well, I say on a local level, bigger question: How the hell did you elect and reelect this bum, De Blasio, al- along with his wife, who's they've misplaced? A billion dollars, which nobody can find. And yeah, well, they are not taking to task. Being, and if I take them to task, uh, take her to task, I'm accused of being well, a see, racist. You're being kind to them. I said they stole it out. Yeah, okay. They can't even account for it a year later. But I will tell you this. This is what's going to happen whenever you don't have a viable two-party system. When one party, one party alone rules, which the Democrats do in New York State from top to bottom, locally in New York and in Albany, then there's nobody to put them in check. 
And this is true if the Republicans were in charge. In some states, it's a red state, the Republicans are in charge, and they put their beak in the trough. So if you don't have balance politically, then you're going to have imbalance, and then they they have a license to do everything. For instance, you live in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. You have recall. You don't like what your elected officials have done. you got to jump through hoops, but you can have a special recall election. That's how Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor in California, because they recalled Gray Davis, who couldn't keep the lights on. Remember, (laughs) blackouts and brownouts. And Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor. We don't have recall in New York. So even when de Blasio disappeared for four months, like Don Quixote swinging at the windmills, trying to run for president, and everybody was laughing at him as if it was an episode of Hee Haw, he was out there in Iowa where there were more pigs than people getting no votes. He could have been recalled at that moment. Even hardcore de Blasio supporters would have said, this is uh, Shanda, this is who disgrazia. But we don't even have that because the politicians do not want people to have any power. They want to keep all the power to themselves. Well, I, I've said this, and, and, you know, I've said it on the national level, but I'll say it locally as well. I believe this country is going to end up going to a three-party system simply because the Democratic Party as it exists, as I said earlier when we started this thing, is not the Democratic Party that many of us grew up with. You know, it's it's so far to the left, it's... Socialist, communist, whatever the hell you want to well, call it. they co-opted it. Uh, they let Bernie in, who has never been a Democrat, never ran as a Democrat to this day, is not a card-carrying Democrat. And they knew that they could co-opt and they could house the Democratic Party. But they learned from Trump. Trump was never a Republican. I remember going to the conservative New York State Party Awards. They were giving me an award at the 69th Street Armory and Trump. Conservatives of the year. I looked at him. He looked at me said, I'm not conservative. He said, I'm not conservative either. So they were just looking for a headline. But he was never conservative. He was pro-choice, pro-gun control. And then all of a sudden he decided, hey, the route to the White House is not through the Democratic Party. I'll get clobbered. It's through the Republican Party. And he just took the Tea Party, which is very much what the Bernie Altacaca Sanders people are, the outliers, rallied them, and he became president. And now the country club Republicans have lost their three-piece set. They've lost their voice. They can't even challenge him. That's what's going to happen in the Democratic Party if Bernie the Altacaca Sanders goes the whole nine yards. All right, gun to your head, okay? Yeah, they have, uh, hey, they have only themselves to blame. Gun to your head. If you had to make a, a, a pick today, who is going to be... Who's going to win the election for presidency of the United States? Oh, Trump. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we're not in a war. The economy is doing well. Everybody could come down with coronavirus from drinking too many uh, corona beers without having Lyme. And he'll still get elected president because, look, what are the choices? Bernie the Altacaca Sanders? No, capitalism versus socialism. Socialism is going to lose. And then if it's stumbling and bumbling Joe Biden, he will never survive those debates. This guy makes up stories, forgets where he is. You know, he's on that cusp of dementia. And people are going to say, nah, can't go. Can't go with Joe Biden. Can't believe anything he says. Every time he gets on a stage, I cringe because you never know when he's going to self-destruct. I've said this all along, uh, and and I'll say it again. because I, be- I agree with you. I believe Trump's going to get elected, and the Democrats are the people who got him elected. Absolutely. I mean, wh- what I saw the last debate 
to me, was the most embarrassing. I, I had tweeted out at the time, it reminded me of the Little Rascals in Miss Crabtree or Miss uh, McGillicuddy's class when Liz Warren and Bernie, they're waving their hands like, teacher, teacher, I got to go take a leak. Please, can, can I get the pass? It, it, it's embarrassing. I mean, you want to, that's the other thing. Young people today, don't have heroes it's you know i saw a somebody put it on on facebook just i just looked at it this morning somebody put on facebook they showed 1961 robert can uh excuse me john kennedy 1961 ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country and then they they point to to, to today um aoc a picture of aoc free right right. i want it free Remember, now everything is under the electronic microscope. Right. If we had known about JFK. Oh, and, and several others as well. He would have crashed and burned. Yeah, several others Why as well. Why Richard Nixon, as dirty as he was, you know, with the Roger Stones of the world at his beck and call, didn't end up blowing up the Kennedys, I'll never know. Because it wasn't just John, it was RFK, it was the whole family. And... So we know things about our politicians now we have never known well, you, you throughout know, history. I, I, that goes, I guess you can say, it, 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 every aspect from entertainers to professional athletes. Right, but to, Bernie has a, a, a following. These are young people who are idealistic. They've gotten out of school, graduate school, many of them. They owe $100,000. They were told, hey, you know, you're going to have a better life than your, your, your father and mother. They're not. And they feel like they've been lied to. I'm going to tell you something about that. And, and th- that's when it really struck me. And this, I'm going back about a year. A good friend of ours, who is one of the best street columnists that this city has ever seen, Dennis Hamill, who now used to write for the Daily News for 25 years. And now, now he's a writer for Law and Order S, uh, SVU. But a- anyway, he had asked me a year or so ago to go. He was teaching a class at Brooklyn College. I, yeah. went, I went to Brooklyn College. Now, the kids at Brooklyn College... They're all scraping in knuckles, all of them basically with full-time jobs to raise the 6000 whatever the hell it costs to go to the school. So we're talking to the class, and, and Bernie Sanders happened to be coming that week on, on a weekend. Yeah, he they're went talking. to Brooklyn College. Yeah, but we're talking to the kids, and I get done, and he wanted me to address the class, and they were great kids interested. I would hire every one of them. At the end of the discussion, when he thanks me, he looks at – the kids, he says, now I'm going to tell you something. He says, you know where Russ comes from? You know, and, and he points like further down the road on Nostrand Avenue. He says, you know, not too far down. He comes from those housing projects. And the kids looked at me like I walked on water because like to them, wow, Russ made it. And he's he's like us. So I get like those are the kids that Bernie is has their heads spinning because those are the kids who have the debt, and those are the kids, you know, free to them is a big deal. Well, think of it, Russ. They're 30 years old. They were promised everything if they play by the rules and go to school yeah. and get higher education. Right. They're sleeping on the couch. They're Mama Luke's yeah. and Mama Lukeettes. Yep. They're saddled with debt. They can't get their own car. They can't get their own house because they don't have the credit. So what does that turn these young people into? They're angry. My wife, she's a hipster millennial. She's got sixty thousand dollars in debt. She's an e lawyer. She'll she'll be mired in that debt forever. It's like it's like extortionary. And with your alimony and child payments, you can't help her out anyway. I, can't, I have to <laughs> depend on her. She's my sugar mama. But what 
what if officials are talking about the student debt? Not Trump, not Bloomberg, not the people who obviously have the wherewithal. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Let me tell you something. If you were to tell me that I can eventually maybe have a car, have a house, finally have kids and a family, you're damn right I'm going to be listening to them because Trump and Bloomberg ain't giving me a path out of being in debt. All right. Before I say goodbye, uh, I'd be remiss because it's so front and center right now, the coronavirus. Uh, Listen. Nobody wants to see people sick. Nobody wants to see anybody die. Uh, but um, <laughs> now that you got the parties blaming each other for the coronavirus. Ridiculous. I, I mean, am I right? I, that, to me, I looked at my wife. The, the day it came out, it was like Trump created the... the you think, you think maybe we blame President Who, what's on second, I don't know, on third, the Red Chinese, for not letting the rest of the world know that this was coming. It, it, it was taking place in December. But you know what we need, what the Red Chinese need? They need little boobies and Zetas over there who won't let you go outside. Hey, bundle up. That's you your, catch for, pneumonia. For you Gentile fans, that's the boobies and Zetas are your Jewish grandmas right. and grandpas. You'll get the flu. <laughs> don't, don't take a shower and go outside right away. You'll get sick. You'll get pneumonia. That's what the Red Chinese need, and they don't have them. But then again, I don't even know if there are any Jews in Red China. Although I bet you in the Politburo, they blame whatever problems that they have in Red China on the Jews, like everyone else in the world. Some, some more things changed, more they remain the same. Folks, that is Curtis Sliwa. Curtis, I can't thank you enough, pal. I, I, you know what? I thought it was going to be. Last time we were together on the air, as I was talking, you know, I'm saying to myself, this would be a good podcast. So I'm glad we did it. Uh, folks. Uh, he's a one and only, he, he's, he's a one of a kind. You can listen to him every day on WABC radio with Juliet Huddy on Curtis and Juliet from noon to three. My friend can't thank you enough. Thank hey, you. two boys from Brooklyn, right? You went to Brooklyn tech, rec tech. I went to Brooklyn prep. They shine their boots on my backside, kick me to the curb. Doesn't matter. We're still from Brooklyn. Brooklyn is Brooklyn. Forget about it. It don't get better than that. Anyway, thank you, Curtis. And now uh, that's a wrap here, folks. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this, me with Curtis today. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Tell me what you thought of today's podcast. You can tell me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg, on Facebook. You can also check out my website at russsalzberg.com. My thanks to Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, who takes good care of me here. My thanks to... 77 WABC program director Dave Labrosi and his outstanding assistant Matt Dahl. But last, certainly not least, you the people out there, because without you people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to on Get a Load of This. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Talk to you next week. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now. 
You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. All our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.